Coming up on Behind the Woman. Distraught laughter falling over a black girl's shoulder. It's funny, I think, the performing arts. We are creating a space where dialogue can be had about topics that impact our community. Everything is possible. I can do it all. Maybe not all at once, but everything is possible. We have to take those risks because sometimes doing it afraid is the only way you'll get to the, the next level. This program is brought to you by the members of WCNY. Thank you. National Grid is proud to support Behind the Woman because of the energy it provides to our community. Welcome to Behind the Woman. I am your host, Dr. Johanna Rogers, and I'm glad you're with us tonight. On tonight's episode, we journey with Vanessa Campbell. She is an HR professional, actress, and photographer. Tonight, Vanessa talks with us a little bit about her journey to the stage, being a black woman, and what that all means to her. Let's meet Vanessa. My name is Vanessa Campbell. I am an HR professional. I am a photographer and an actress. I grew up on the east side of Syracuse. I went to city schools for most of my elementary and a little bit of middle school. In my neighborhood, I would say it was a pretty mixed neighborhood, and we all got along. I don't think I really encountered any real thoughts of like, there's huge differences until I got into middle school and transferred to the JD school system. I walked into the classroom and realized I was the only black child. <laughs> that was when I was when I realized there was this disparity. There was always a mix of every race and ethnicity when, you, when I was in the city school. I was pretty upset with my parents when they moved. I'm like, you guys are trying to torture me. This is not fair. Why did we have to move here? I didn't know it then, but a lot of the offices that I go into, the jobs that I've held, I am, I do turn out to be the only one there. So that definitely was a defining moment that helped shape me because I learned how to navigate that world. Two very important role models in my life were both my parents, my mom and my dad. Um, they just had a huge impact on me, just the way they raised me, what I saw them doing growing up. And in my late teens, my mom was diagnosed with ALS and she passed away when I was 20, all through middle school and high school, she'd be getting ready in the morning and I'd sit and we'd talk about just everything that was going on in school, who said what, my grades. To not have that, especially as I was in college, was really hard. I've always kind of had a passion for the arts. I mean, from a young age, I played instruments. My dad actually had an interest in photography. So it was something that he did and he always had cameras and I remember he gave me this little beat up film camera. It had to be held together with a rubber band. And he showed me how to put the film in it. And I was probably like seven or eight. And I would just snap pictures. Like I have a ton of pictures in photo albums of taking pictures of my cousins, my friends, all the kids in the neighborhood. I would just go around with this camera all the time. 
And that's kind of where my journey began with photography. And then when they had it at school, um, black and white photography, I'm like, I have to take this. I absolutely have to take this class. So I'm really into portrait photography or I love event photography. Like, I love getting candid shots of people. That's like my absolute favorite. I like to bring out the person's inner beauty. The way I was taught is you take a good photo. You know, you get the lighting right. You take a good photo um, so that you don't have to edit it. <laughs> so that's kind of where I am with my photography. Um, I'm not big in the graphic design. I'm more about seeing the person, capturing their inner beauty, their spirit, and having that show through the picture. It's actually pretty interesting because I ended up not going to school for photography, which was something I wanted to do for the longest time. But my parents were kind of like, how about you major in something <laughs> um, a little more concrete? And so I ended up majoring in public relations. For undergrad, I went to SUNY Oswego, and then I ended up not really on purpose <laughs> going back to school and getting my master's at Framingham State University. I moved to Boston for a PR job, but turned out to be horrible. <laughs> and it was not PR. I was selling office supplies <laughs> door to door. I ended up quitting. I started working at a Citizens Bank. And my assistant branch manager, she was maybe a year older than me at the time, she's like, Campbell, you gotta go get your master's. This is what you have to do. And I'm like, maybe she has a point. So I kind of was like, what do I like to do? I love people, I love talking. And I was like, HR could work. I feel like I could do that. I could, I could be in employee relations. And I just went for it. I learned how to swim late in life. <laughs> and I remember in order to pass a test, I had to dive. I am terrified of heights and diving and anything where my feet are not on the ground. <laughs> But in order to get to the next level, like I literally, I had to do, there was no other way. And so I did it. We have to take those risks because sometimes doing it afraid is the only way you'll get to the, the next level. And so I kind of think about that when I'm applying for a job or going out on stage. Like in order for me to get to that next level, I have to dive in. You and I, I think, got to know each other better because you believe that everything is possible and you talk about having always wanted to perform. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. Kind of, right? And then you walk into our cast of Four Color Girls uh -huh. <laughs> and to take photos. To take pictures, yep. And ended up a really, really powerful piece of the cast. Mm-hmm. You remember some of your lines? <laughs> I do remember them. Yeah, yeah. I do. Can you give us a little, mm. a little bit? Dark phrases of womanhood, of having never been a girl. Notes half scattered, without rhythm, no tune. Distraught laughter falling over a black girl's shoulder. Mm. It's funny, it's hysterical. The melody lessness of her dance. That's all I'm going to give you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> That's okay. all I'm going to give you. What was being a part of Four Color Girls in this realm of thinking everything is possible? Right? Um, what was that like for you? It was amazing because I didn't expect it. Uh, so kind of, and you know the story, right? I was going to go to the audition, but I decided not to. I was having a bad day. 
-hmm. And I was just like, you know what? It's not, it's probably not meant for me. Mm-hmm. It just, it was, I didn't, I just thought, okay, I missed that mm-hmm. next time. Um, so to have it just kind of happen naturally without me even going in there and trying to do it and have it fall into place, I mean, it was just a powerful experience. And then to really get to know you better, like we had already known each other, we worked right. together on a couple other things, but to get to know you better and spend all that time, get to know our the Tuesday other, nights. our Tuesday nights, <laughs> right. to get to know the other eight women, I mean, that, that energy between all of us that connected us, it was just, it was great, that sisterhood, like I'm an only child, so it was great to have just like playmates. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like fake sisters. Yeah, was, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. Right. So how has that experience, this notion of anything is possible, mm-hmm. affected your life professionally? Like, do you take lessons or ideas or some of the deep conversations that we had from the show or any of that into your professional space? Absolutely. Absolutely, because we we had a lot of deep conversations about what it is to be a woman, a woman of color. And then here I go into work every day where I am the youngest member of the management team. I'm Mm -hmm. one of two women of color on the management team. Um, And so I kind of carry you guys with me, especially when I'm feeling like, okay, can I do this? Let me speak up in this meeting, you know, and I think about what it took for me to speak in front of an audience, right? To recite those lines mm-hmm. in front of a bunch of people. I'm like, all right, well, I can say it in front of my team. <laughs> I, can do, I can do this. Yeah. Or just remembering um, those little nuggets of wisdom that Miss Gwen dropped on us, you know, right. and just taking it with me as I'm heading through um, difficult situations or, uh, so I'm in HR, so I'm always having difficult conversations. Right. Just like, trying to... That makes me nervous. But that's why I respect you so much. Because I'm just like, oh, Lord, those HR moments working with a staff. I'm just like, I don't want to relive that experience. Yeah. Very it's often like in my life. And you do it stage. every day. Yeah, it's like being on stage. It's like acting. <laughs> like, you know, I got to go in there all confident with, like, my poker face on. Like, right. do you know what we're here to talk about today? <laughs> like, right. um, and I say it jokingly, but, you know, it takes a level of... Um, confidence and just kind of doing it. I think uh, one of our, what we were talking about earlier, doing it afraid, you mm. know. Doing it afraid. Yeah. Doing so. it afraid. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a powerful notion. Cause like, as you said, like sometimes you don't maybe know yeah. all the answers, but yeah. <laughs> often- I'll find them. All right, you'll find them. <laughs> or often as like a black woman, even in my space, like I feel like this, wait that I have to do it mm-hmm. confidently. Because if I show weakness or vulnerability, or if I give them an inkling of my insecurity, they're gonna take hold of that. Yeah, I think what with that, I've learned to be comfortable saying like, I don't know the answer to something, mm-hmm. but, but I will find it. Um, and being confident in saying that, because I've realized that People actually don't expect me to know everything. Mm. And so, but as long as I can help guide them and I'm upfront with them, mm-hmm. it seems to be okay. Mm. That's been my experience at least so far. Let's hope it stays that way. <laughs> Let's hope it stays that way. Can we talk about hair for a second? Cause you just locked your hair. Yes. <laughs> 
Well, I wasn't going to take it there, but... It's not locked yet. I just got it... Yeah. But we had a discussion on the phone the other day. We did. About, like, the decision to do that. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, you know, I've been natural now for about, well, on and off six years. Because every once in a while I'd creep back to the, to the relaxer. <laughs> but um, I've been natural for a while now. And, um, you know, I was just like, I think, I think I'm ready for this. Like, I've, it's been something I've actually been thinking about for a year. Mm-hmm. Just about a year. I've been interviewing people every time I meet a woman <laughs> with locks. I'm like, tell me about it. I've asked you a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I'm ready. I am nervous. I told you I'm very anxious. Um, the politics of The hair. politics of hair, working where I work. As a photographer, as an actress, you know, mm-hmm. there's not much impact. But I think being in, in and I specifically work in uh, government, you know, I'm concerned about what my colleagues are going to think or how they're going, you know, to respond as they see me go through this process. This process. Because um, it's always something, and even when I change my hair, if I go from my afro to braids, they're like, oh, your hair is different every day. It's a topic of conversation. It like, is. Oh, you look so different. Yeah. How can they do the, 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 the sensitive? I haven't, I haven't had anyone recent, <laughs> in recent years ask me that. Okay. Not in recent years. I think years. the word is getting around. Yeah. But okay. um, so not, not within like the last three years. But I did have someone ask me at a job before. Um, they're like, oh. Your hair is Ooh, and I was like that lean back real Did she just <laughs> Right, right, right. I think oh. it when we have a conversation, you call me the other day and we end up talking about it. And I think this is what, you know, this space is for. Mm-hmm. Like for women of color, um, to sit down and really talk about what the this expression of like being black black girl magic. Mm-hmm. And why it's significant? Mm-hmm. Because there are experiences that are very unique, I think, mm-hmm. to the way in which we have to live and integrate ourselves into spaces and like the internal conversations we have sometimes yeah. um, about how we just show up. And like you having to call and like interview folks because you're thinking about locking your hair, and we were having the conversation like yeah. in the context of in a professional space of yeah. being professional, like how could this be perceived and what are the white folks going to say? Yeah. And you know, even what are the other black folks going to say who don't know who, you know, That's aren't true. part of the natural movement who prefer the more, uh, I won't say traditional, but who prefer straightened hair. Straightened hair. Right. Um, that's been something that I think about because I have received some comments from, from you know, black women too. Black women who are like, oh, okay. I like that other style better. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, so you right. don't like, you, you and know. And that intergenerates, sometimes it's, it's not Definitely. always, but like, you know, from specific generations. I know yeah. like my grandparents were like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Right, because in their generation, like having straight um, right. or well kept hair, yeah. you know, was a thing. Right. Um, and now, kind of our generation is breaking into all different mm-hmm. ways of expression and like styling our hair and having to have those external conversations, but also internal, like right. kitchen table conversations with our folks. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So. 
Well, congratulations to doing it. Thank you. I'm going to keep cheering you on. Thank you. I need it. I'm going to need that support. Especially, I'm going to call you when I'm like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And I'm going through that. that, that it's uh, a journey. Yeah. It's a journey. And I remember I was ready to cut them out because I was just like, I don't feel beautiful. I don't, like, this isn't what I imagine in these moments of just being like, what do I look like? And internalizing what I'm supposed to look like, right. what I feel, and how to manage those things. It takes, just like anything else, a network of support. So just call yeah. me. I will. I will be. <laughs> we originally sat down with Vanessa after she and I had finished for Color Girls. But this past winter, we ventured back to Auburn together to catch her and the Harriet Tubman troupe in rehearsals for Butterfly Confessions. Here's a sneak peek. So currently I am at Auburn Public Theater in Auburn, New York, and I'm about to go into rehearsal for a production called Butterfly Confessions. It's a spinoff of the Pocket Diaries. It's kind of like um, an urban version of the vagina monologues, but um, it's like more specific to black women and their experiences. This piece covers a lot of topics um, within the black community concerning mental health, concerning rape, HIV and AIDS. Also some good things. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's not all sad and, but um, those are some of the bigger topics that it addresses. I remember my first kiss. When I was 12, all I wanted to be was 13. 13 sounded so much better than 12. When you were 13, you could go to the mall and get your hair did. When I you think were 12, prior to this whole experience, I probably was in one performance when I was like in the fourth grade. And then I got into acting with the Harriet Tubman troupe um, because I was supposed to be there to take photos, do the headshots of the cast. There were two women who were out sick the day that I was there and they asked me if I could just read. And I ended up reading and the director goes, you have to have a part in here. I have to find something for you. And that was, that was the end. I had never been kissed before and I wanted to kiss so badly. I crossed both my fingers and prayed that I got somebody cute. I have two pieces in the production, one talking about first kisses and another one talking about um, setting boundaries and kind of like self-acceptance. I'm excited to be a part of this. First to hang out with my family, you know, the Harriet Tubman troupe. I love these ladies, so that's first and foremost why it's important to me um, to maintain that bond and that connection. And also to bring awareness to my community. We are creating a space where dialogue can be had about topics that impact our community and creating a safe space so that we can talk about it. 3AM knows all my secrets. It knows the truth. Those truths I barely share with myself. Those truths I'm too embarrassed to write in my journal. Scared somebody's gonna find me out and put me on blast. You know, a lot of people have had these experiences regardless of race. And when I'm performing and I'm looking out in the audience and seeing the reactions of people who've maybe had an experience or know me and 
um, they're connecting with the piece that I'm talking about, it's just very powerful. And to give them that space to be able to open up to, I don't know, almost like heal, right? It's like this healing and kind of therapeutic process. It's like therapy for me and therapy for the audience. So it's really great that we're all able to kind of sit with these emotions, talk about them afterwards. Because a lot of our shows, we have talkbacks afterward. And just some of the things that are talked about are just so powerful or when people come up to you individually and just tell them how you've impacted them. That's why I keep coming back. What do you hope for your future as an actor? I hope to become a big celebrity. <laughs> um, you know, I hope to just continue to act in, in my community and be a part of performances that are meaningful, that are impactful, that start conversation and help heal. Boom, chicka rocka, chicka rocka, chicka boom. I think it is super important for myself and anyone, I'd encourage anyone to get a hobby. <laughs> whether it's acting, photography, whether you're making money doing it or not, um, I think it's just important to, you know, we get so stuck in our nine to five and work and and what's going on there and the drama I think it's important as an HR professional I mean I used to talk to some people like hey it's important to take a break when you're at work and it's important to have something to go to afterward that just makes your soul happy just something that you're passionate about because it makes everything else that much better so I encourage everyone like whatever it is if it's music if it's singing do it. Even if you're not that great of a singer, I love to sing and I'm not that good, but in my mind I sound like Mariah Carey. <laughs>
This saves me a life. You still studying it? Yeah, <laughs> I'm actually taking a class right now <laughs> on uh, manage uh, managerial leadership in the public sector. How about that? Oh, managerial leadership in the public yeah, sector. Yeah, I've been okay. through school. I have my master's, but um, I'm always seeking to know more, to learn more. How can I be better? How can I do better so that I can have the impact that I want to have um, on my community, so that I can be an example for young women. Um, and part of that comes from always never stop learning, never stop learning and working hard. Um, what's, there's that great, that great quote. It's like, um, you know, something about talent, but hard work, you can outwork talent, you know? So mm -hmm. I may not be the best. I may not be the smartest. I may not, you know, but I will study and work my butt off Absolutely. to get there. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll keep studying and working your butt off. Yes. You're doing a great job. Thank you. And I'll see you on stage. All right now. <laughs> we could all learn a little bit from Vanessa's story. Her journey tonight highlights the intersectionality of black womanhood, performance, the workplace, and the politics of hair. She challenges us all, despite our experiences, to do it afraid. Thank you for tuning in to Behind the Woman, and we hope to see you next week. Next week on Behind the Woman. I forget who said it, but they say service is the rent we pay for living on this earth. And I truly believe that. There are reasons why people should consider historically black colleges and universities for higher education. You're not called to be perfect. None of us are, and it, none of us are perfect. I want to be able to speak for people who may not be in the room. And I look at that as my privilege. I may be in that room, but it's not just about me. This program is brought to you by the members of WCNY. Thank you. VIP Structures, 45 years of integrated solutions offering architecture, engineering, construction, and development. VIP, creating sustainable structures designed and built to enrich neighborhoods and strengthen communities. Experience the creative, collaborative difference at VIP. National Grid is proud to support Behind the Woman because of the energy it provides to our community.